Welcome to Life, Death, Sci-Fi. Um, All right. This is a season one bonus edition. We decided to do something unusual and read a, a work of nonfiction by Margaret Atwood titled In Other Worlds. Yeah, that was a big one for me because so far it's all been fiction with us. And now, wow, nonfiction. It's a big deal. By the way, I'm Eric, and this is Chris. And again, we're like the sci-fi. And we love sci-fi, yeah. But so does Margaret Atwood, apparently. Wow. When I read this book, one of the things that I like the best about it is the voice her voice in this obviously just just she's talking about what she loves and how she got there and everything and i thought of this a couple of times while i was reading it i thought this is the best sci-fi podcast in the universe and why should we even try with our life death sci-fi she's wicked smart for one that's what i kept thinking i haven't read enough atwood i've read the handmaid's tale and then we read orcs and craig and talked about that one at some point craig blew my mind just blew my mind yeah i both of these have a lot of staying power and i think i guess she talks about that maybe that comes up in her we'll get to these her essays on say 1984 and and a brave new world but there's certain books where they just seem to be timeless or, or maybe at least they're cyclical in time like they keep coming back to them and i feel like the handmaid's tale keeps coming back to me and orcs and craig which I didn't know was going to resonate as much. Yeah, as it, I didn't think so either. Yeah, but it's so interesting to see her work through. You know what I didn't expect? I, I didn't realize this was going to be so much, in so many ways, a memoir for her. That was unexpected. I expected her just to be discussing her these some works, and I love how she weaved in some of her own experiences. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was. Totally my favorite part. Yeah, I thought memoir quite a few times while I was reading this. And it, and it was in the in the beginning, her history of how she got into it. And she, though she's older than I am, she's not like, she. I think she's a little more than oh, a decade a older than I am. No, she's how a old is she now? Yeah, because she says at some point, it was surprising to me, I think she was born, she was born in 1939. 39. 39, yeah. Okay, okay, she's so she's... Be, yeah, she's... she's uh, yeah, she's 15 years older than I am. Were you a comic book reader when you were young? Yeah, I, I was. I, I don't know that I read. I mean, there were definitely some DC and Marvel comics that I was reading. I think that there, were, there was such a mix. I think it was more it was pretty eclectic. When I look back at and I have, I still have a box full of comics in the, my parents' attic. And when I look back through that, it's a real hodgepodge of different... Yeah. <laughs> You're breaking my heart because I had this awesome comic book collection. I went away to college and when I came back for the summer, I wanted to see my comic book collection. And my father had given it away to some friend's kid who came by the house. And that uh, stunned me because I thought, what? Yeah. No. That's no. such a... That's such a uh, speaks to different generations as well because of course your father would probably just see it as these kids these kids comic so of course you wouldn't yeah, want it, it for kids, right yeah yeah i wish i'd read more i'm hoping to read more i've been reading more i try to read a few at least graphic novels or maybe comics every year and yes. yeah we'll, we'll talk later about our next next season a little bit we'll preview or think through can't and, wait uh, 
Yeah, me too. Many of the books that, that, that we were talking about reading for that season, she's talked about in this, in this book, In Other Worlds. The title of her book is In Other Worlds, Science Fiction and the Human Imagination. Yes, there it is. There it is. I, I think that's an ugly ass cover. Sorry. I, I, I get think it it's from what so you cool. writing about. You like that? Yeah. It's ironic, right? It's a throwback. Yeah. She has that. Uh, she has things know, to say about that. <laughs> yeah. The weird tales covers of the 1930s. And yeah, no, I just thought it was striking. I think that's what I hadn't heard of it. And this was um, one of those purchases from Pals in Portland where yeah. we were, I think we were exchanging texts and I was picking yes. up some, some books when I was back there. And I, this one just, it just, the cover is what caught my attention. I, I, it was just, really had it flipped with the cover out on the shelf. And I was okay, like, so why did it, why, why do you like, why do you like this cover? You got the, the scantily clad yeah. blondie flying, a, falling. Right. And then so, you've got this creature who is helping her. And she talks a lot. I, I really liked it when she talked about myths and gods and, and how that's all woven into the science fiction of what we watch today or watch and read. It partly caught my attention just because it seems so kind of old school in that regard. And it was like a throwback to those covers, which doesn't obviously fit the way that we might showcase something today. And so then when I saw that and then her name, it just was like, wait, what's going on here? This is weird. I mean, yeah. Weird is yeah. uh yeah, I guess attractive. And uh, when what's the publication date on, on this? I I don't have uh, mine's a Kindle. Copy. Yeah, I think it was two thousand nine. Let me two thousand nine. Yeah, because when you look at the cover, it looks like oh, this is it's going to be like nineteen thirty nine, like when she was born, nineteen forty. Yeah, and that's what she's teasing us about. I think. Oh, 2011. 2011. Yeah, pretty cool. Sheep made this into a three-part book and the first part was called in other worlds and her second was other deliberations the first part was okay i'll read from the book this book is arranged in three parts the first part in other worlds is a personal history of sorts okay and then the second part other deliberation gathers together some of my many pieces of writing about specific works of science fiction over the years, summer reviews, introductions. And the third part is Five Tributes, is a group of my own mini science fiction pieces. And when I was thinking about uh, talking to you today, my comfort zone is totally in her part one, when she talks about her beginnings and all of the books she read all through up until through college. And I think that's actually where we are. We're reading those stories and trying to make sense out of it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So many things to appreciate about that. One of the things, and you mentioned this, the references say Greek mythology or, you know, Shakespeare, mm. the Bible. And I, yes, I, all of it those. just, yeah, it made so much sense to me about how, what really struck me was how in different ages and different times, sci-fi was used often to explore really serious ideas, heavy topics. Okay, so for example, there's something in the the third part of, in other words, where she's talking about, this one's titled like Dire Cartographies, The Roads to Ustopia, right? This word she made up with. Uh, oh, I like that too. I think, yeah. 
One of the reasons why we were reading this book is to gather better vocabulary to talk about our topics and science fiction in general. And I was a little disappointed in that. I think I squeezed a few of those things out and I want to share. It was more, like you said before, like a memoir. It wasn't like, here's how you build a science fiction story. But a little, she put that in there too. Yeah, for me, it just will probably help maybe break down some things to make connections between these stories and some of the other fables, myths, fairy tales, biblical stories. I appreciated that. I was going to say that the, the dire cartography thing she talks about how it's almost as the world filled up with, say, technology and buildings and all these things that the world here got so full. It's like people that have to go outside of this world in order to yeah, to, I mark to that. Be, yeah, yeah I to mark be that the too. I, I like that. Yeah, to think back with the the Greeks and even the Romans, the Mayans, those their universe was. The land was a lot emptier than it is now. And the skies had no planes, the you know, roads, no uh, freeways. And yeah, it makes total sense to go somewhere being pushed up, that imagination being pushed off into, the, into uh, outer space. The final destination. No one has gone before. So. Did you, did this, can you think back to your childhood and like some, I was trying to remember what, if I can even remember the first like sci-fi book that I read or, or work of speculative fiction. Or, oh, really? Yeah, I mean, you can't remember like, it? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm trying to think of like um, what it would have been that I was reading. I think it was probably... You go ahead. What was... You, can you think of yours? Oh, oh, I, I, I totally uh, remember Tom Swift. He was this nerdy kid who invented stuff that either saved the world or saved the town or his friends or something. So that that inventive kind of stuff. And then, of course, all the comic books, Superman, Batman, and Green Lantern, all of, all of those kinds of superheroes. And then I got into the H.G. Wells, just like Margaret Atwell, and loved that. But at the same time, watching Star Trek every week on TV, those are... Those are the beginnings. Yeah, I think, yeah, for me, early stuff, I, yeah, I was a child in the 80s. And I think, I don't know if I saw the, I mean, I was born, I guess, just not long after the first Star Wars was released in theaters. And, and I was trying to think if I saw Empire. I don't think I saw Empire Strikes Back. I think if I saw it in the theater, I think. I don't think so, but I do remember Return of the Jedi, definitely. But what I had at home was these, they used to, get, used to get these Star Wars books that came with like cassette tapes and you could, you could pop the cassette tape in and then listen to the story and kind of read along in the book. Oh, yeah. That's a perfect uh, reading technique. Yeah. Yeah. I remember those as a kid. So I think Star Wars was there really early for me, but I think most of it was not reading. There were definitely some comic books later. I was a little older. But it's like uh, kind of elementary school at some point. But I, yeah. I think I think the earliest stuff for me was really Star Wars, reruns of the old Star Trek, the original of my parents. Twilight Zone was pretty early for me. Oh, uh, yeah, of course. Oh, X-Files? X, yeah, X-Files, a little bit older there, though. I think Twilight Zone, like the... I can remember watching the one that was made in the 80s and then the reruns, you know, the black and white ones. There's that one... 
Oh, I gotta find that and put it in the show notes. There's one where these. Oh, you hate to spoil it though. I can't. I shouldn't say. But there's. there's Is this one the one with the aliens looking at the little town, and uh, they no, turn off no. the electricity in the town? No, no, that sounds good. Is that one of the ones from the '80s? Early one. I can't remember the oh, name of it. But anyway, they get blocked off. Is like the people on Maple Street or something, or the? Yes, that's the one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, monsters on one. Maple Street. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's a good one. That's that's a classic. Yeah. No, I was thinking of the one one from the 80s where there's a little boy and he's turning maybe 12 or 13 and he's got to go in for this exam and his parents are all nervous and they're, they're worried about what he's going to score and they're really hoping he does well. And, and then, he, and then there's a spoiler here, so if you don't want to hear it, I don't know, fast forward. Yeah, I think I know what it is, yeah. He takes his exam and the parents get a phone call and he's he did too well on the exam and so he's going to be executed. I remember watching that as he's a boy and I was like around the same age or a little bit you know, younger, but old enough to get it. And, and it was yeah. just so shocking to me. I was like, Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, it's not at all what I was expecting. There's not a lot of, there's some thunder and rain showers and stuff. There's not a lot of buildup to that. It's not obvious. There's some foreboding there. It's but just, it's, a, it's just a, a, a shocker at the end. Yeah, I, I know yeah. you can't do too much in 35 minutes and, but yeah, that one yeah, was I think, a really short episode. It's like a 15 minute one. It was just so much in that for a, yeah, a short episode. And then the, yes. what was it? The last yeah. man on earth. And he loved it because now he could have peace and quiet and read all the books that he wanted. And he tripped and, and fell and broke his glasses. Yeah. It was a time enough. Spoiler at last. alert. <laughs> yeah. Time enough at last. Yeah. Oh was, yeah, that yeah, one, yeah. That one's good. Yeah, Twilight Zone, man. So good. So good. Yeah, the newer ones are good, too. I don't know if you've seen. Have you had a chance to watch those? Some of them. Yeah. It, yeah. I don't know why I, I haven't watched all of them, but I've watched some of them. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're, I think they're worth watching. The, the, they're not as good, I think, but they're, they have their moments. I, I think I want to say in season two, I felt like there's the, the closure in many of the episodes seemed better to me than uh, in mm. the first season. So fun to see her going back to her childhood. What a reader. Yeah. Yeah. And in her first part there, she talks about superheroes. And I thought that kind of, and she broke it down. And that was one of the few times she broke it, broke something like that down. And she said that those kind of stories have a way to travel, some kind of vehicle to get from one place to another. So that's, uh, that makes a, you know, a comic book superhero and, Outfits, of course. And then she gets into some of the early outfits for females in, in science fiction. She even sports the cover of one of her own uh, stories. I don't know if you remember seeing that. It, crazy, sexist, and whatever. Flying. A lot of them fly. Even the ones that can't fly, like Batman. Hmm. And transformations from the characters hiding the superheroes or whatever. Yeah. Another word, science fiction word I got from this book that I really like a lot, instead of devices that we talk about and the devices that they use, I'm going to call them gizmos from now on. Gizmo. <laughs> gizmos. Gizmo. I feel really comfortable talking about, or, or I felt reading that section, I felt really comfortable. Oh, this super smart, famous author has read some of the same and feels some of the same ways I do about these stories. Yeah. Yeah. That was great to see. Yeah. I just found myself just have like 
list after list of a page after page lists of things I want to read, books to read, poems to read. Yeah, just out of that, she talked about War of the Worlds, which I would talk about for our next season, maybe. The Isle of uh, Dr. Moreau, not my favorite. I had sad creatures that it wasn't their fault. The Invisible Man, The Lost World by Arthur Conan Doyle. Did he write The Lost World? Is The Lost World the one I'm thinking of where they have like an island with dinosaurs and all that kind of stuff lost in time or yeah, is something I, else? That, that, no, you think of the right author. I'm not, I wasn't familiar with that. In working through this, there were so many moments where I was like, gosh, I just feel like I, I know nothing. Oh, um, yeah, 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 yeah. Like I said, our podcast is over because she did such a great job of doing what I hoped we would do someday. On, on our podcast, but we can keep it. Let's keep at it. Yeah. Some other ones that I was a little surprised that she had included in this is uh, King Solomon's Minds, like, and Alan Quartermain. And she talked a lot about this book, She. I yeah. I'd, I'd never heard of it. And she was like, what's, she calls it like a super famous book at some point. I'm like, gosh, never, never heard yeah. of it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Sounds interesting. And uh, then the John Wyndham's Day of the Triffids. I think I've heard of that, but I haven't ever read Day of the Triffids. And then yeah, all of the Bradbury books she read. And uh, then The Fly. Remember that? The guy yeah. gets into this, like he wants to, what is it? The transform someone from one place to the other. And the fly gets in there and then he becomes the fly human, human fly. Yeah, that was a... It was an 80s movie too, I think, right? Totally grossed me out. Yeah. Yeah, the attack of the 60-foot woman. The, the, yes. I haven't, I haven't yes. seen that. The head no. that wouldn't... Why would you see it? I think the whole thing is right there in the title. Oh, then probably the attack of the 60-foot woman and she wins is the other part of it, probably. Yeah, I like that, that section. She talked a lot about what science fiction is. You know what? We've had lots of conversations on that too. And she, I think, is like us. It's, there's a wide definition of what it is, if you want to define it. But uh, science fiction, speculative fiction, sword and sorcery fantasy, she's included in that. And one of my favorites, slipstream fiction. Hmm. Slipstream, that icky. Yeah, I wish I would have marked it. She was defining science fiction, but she talks about, breaks down those terms in a way that I thought was interesting, where she says, you can, it's science being what's meant to be, you know, what we know based on certain facts, and it's sort of nonfiction. You think of it that way. And then fiction being the, maybe it's a romance or something, a story that's being, it's being told that may or may not be true. And so the meeting of those two terms is so full of conflict and kind of contrast. And so it's such a perfect genre to explore the difference between, rather than get into all the hard science stuff, if you just think of it as in the exploration of what you know and what you you know, may not know for sure. A little romantic, yeah. That's like a romantic idea. Science fiction story is a story, probably first. If it's not a good story, then who's going to care? 
Oh, here we go. Yeah. She says, before going into specifics, this is from the burning bushes section. Oh, yeah. Before going into specifics, I'll say a little bit about the history of the term science fiction. This label brings together two terms you'd think would be mutually exclusive, since science from scientia, meaning knowledge, is supposed to concern itself with demonstrable facts and fiction, which derives from the Latin root verb. Uh, oh, I like this a lot. I don't know how to pronounce it, but it's F-I-N-G-E-R-E, like fing- fingere or fingere. But it's, it must be fingere because it's Latin to pronounce all those. F-I-N-G-E-R-E, uh, meaning to mold. Fiction derives from this Latin root, meaning to mold, devise, or feign, denotes a thing that is invented. That's what I was trying to think of there, like invented. So with science fiction, one term is often thought to cancel out the other. Thus, such books may be judged as factual predictions with the fiction part, the story, the characters, the invention component, rendering them useless for anyone who really wants to get a grip on, say, space travel or nanotechnology. On the other hand, they may be treated the way W.C. Fields treated golf when he spoke of it as a good walk spoiled. That is, the books are seen as fictional narratives cluttered up with too much esoteric geek material they should have stuck to describing the social and sexual interactions among Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice only in futuristic clothing. Yeah, it's interesting. I love that fiction being, I had no idea that it was, I feel like this is terrible, but it was rooted in this word that had to do with molding, devising, or feigning, like inventing, in other words. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, I like that too. But yeah, then she gets into it. She talks about Jules Verne and yeah, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea and, and how horrified he was by H.G. Wells taking so many liberties because Verne, she calls him the granddaddy of science fiction, but he just, he, he wanted things to be rooted in some real science for him. Like a submarine, but unlike H.G. Yeah. Uh, Wells, he's got Martians flying to Earth in, in spaceships. So, you know, that, yeah, I can see where Jules Verne went a little. Hey, what's going on? You can't do that. You can't have anybody living on Mars. Why right. not? Why not? She talks about three things that have to be in science fiction in a good story. Let me see if I can find. But any writer of Astopias has to answer three necessary questions. Where is it? When is it? And in relation to maps, what shape is it in? Hmm. I thought that was basic. And then she says, at the two extremes of this series of paired opposites, there are opposites are the heavenly realm, summing up everything we might be expected to enjoy. And the hellish one, incorporating everything evil and painful. And between these two poles stretches the human life, the merry middle earth of both folk ballads and the Lord of the Rings, And the plots of narrative literary works of all kinds show movement in one direction or the other. There are narratives of fall in which we move from the heavenly spirit to the earthly and from the earthly to the demonic. And then she goes on to talk about lots of examples about this. But that when we talk about setting in stories, I think that's probably the best idea of what a a setting is in, in terms of a place and and a feeling of where a story is. The heaven and the hell, and which way are you going? 
Yeah, I wrote down, she says at some point around there that in literature, every landscape is a state of mind. Yeah, interesting. it is. We like science fiction, and but if you're not willing to believe or consider that a structure taking a whole planetary system, inserting a, a huge strip around a sun or an elevator into space, I can see where people would say science fiction, I don't want to read. I don't want to get into that. Yeah, I have a hard time understanding that. I think that's one of the stronger cases she makes here is that overall, it's just that if you're reading fiction, you're reading science fiction or speculative fiction. And if you're reading speculative fiction, you're you're dealing with and reading the same things that you've been reading in every other story everywhere, that all these stories are exploring some of the same questions that we have about our own uh, understanding of ourselves and where where we where we've been, where are we going, <laughs> what are we doing here, and it's just really expl- exploration of really those existential questions, right? Um, yeah, is this all we can be? Is mm-hmm. is am I going to be able to plug in and to, to the internet and download my consciousness? All of those kinds of questions we can look at in these kind of stories. You know, uh, that sounds like a great thing to be able to download or upload everything from the internet right into my brain. But after reading the story, the feed, maybe not. I don't know. And maybe it's already sort of happening. I don't know. Yeah. 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 It is, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I was thinking about feed a few times when she was writing about different things. Yastopia, yeah, we wanted to come back to that a little bit was interesting. I, I guess it makes sense. You got a little bit of a double meaning there with us being, this is the way things, like you were saying, the way things are for us. We're always between these sort of, on this, between these poles somewhere. And uh, sometimes it's more dystopia. We can find a little bit of utopia in there. And sometimes it seems like utopia and you realize there's a you know, a lot of yin, yin, yin and yang here, yin and yang. I was just gonna, I was just gonna read that part, but scratch the surface a little, and or so I think you would see something more like a, a yin and yang pattern within each utopia, a concealed dystopia, and within each dystopia, a hidden utopia, just like you were saying. Yeah, it made me yeah. think. Yeah, I maybe want to read. I like those essays at the end. I didn't read every single one, but I read most of them. But I read the ones that I was most familiar with based on the books I'd read. In the discussion of 1984 and the discussion of A Brave New World, and it had me wanting to reread A Brave New World. It's been a while. And and I read the Aldous Huxley's The Island not too long ago again, but it's been a long time. I, I tried watching the TV show A Brave New World. and Oh, yeah, I did too. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking about, was, I think what I was missing was the, again, it's been a long time, but the, you know, the quote unquote savage character and he's messed up because his views on kind of sex and all that, it's so different than that of the quote unquote utopian kind of society. Here as a writer, she's saying the writing of Handmaiden's Tale gave me a strange feeling like sliding on a river of ice. Exhilarating, but unbalancing. How thin is the ice? How far can I go? How much trouble am I in? What's down there if I fall? These were writerly questions. I love that word, writerly. 
having to do with the structure and execution. And the biggest question of all, the one every writer asks himself or herself with every completed chapter, is anyone going to believe this? Hmm. Yeah. So is it going to be believable? Could Martians invade the earth? Is that believable? At the time it was written? I don't know. Anything from the back that kind of struck you? I loved your letter to the open letter from Margaret Atwood to the Judson. To the school board. Yeah, I thought that was pretty great. I did too. I, I, I really liked it. Like it, it was like, huh, she's being pretty easy on him. And then she just well, she was, the hammer. Down. No, but she was writing to the people who have been trying to keep the book. But it's obviously also directed at, yeah, those other folks. She chose the high road. Yeah, interesting. There's different moments, some discussion about trying to control kind of reproductive rights and stuff. And that had me thinking about a number of different things happening these days in the, in the States. And Oh my God. Yeah. And China as well. I, I don't know if you, on YouTube, you can probably get it. There was a, a valedictorian giving a high school commencement speech. Oh, and yeah. do you remember that? Script, she, right? Oh man, did she go off script and she like was a hero. Yeah. Talk about reproductive rights. That's the whole topic of the speech. And she did it yeah, in such an uh, eloquent way. In Texas, right? I think maybe. Yeah. 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 I, I saw the headline. I haven't actually listened to it. I should yeah, oh, check that she out. She just does such a good job. Yeah. We've talked about this before. We've talked about white privilege. We've talked about a little bit of reproductive rights. These stories, these things that we've been talking about have risen my consciousness uh, about these things. I'm a better person for having read this and, and discussed this, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that as well. Really insightful there. I thought when she was talking about The Handmaid's Tale and she's making a point about how people are looking at a feminist novel and she's saying just, I mean, what makes it a feminist novel? She says, because it has a protagonist who's female. People just look at it that way because there's so few books out there in which that's the case that just because there is suddenly it becomes feminist when that wasn't really it didn't sound like it was necessarily her intent, although she was obviously cared about some issues there in terms of women yeah. and, and their rights. Yeah. yeah. I thought that was pretty powerful. I hadn't really thought of it that way. Of course, that makes sense. And it's true. We tend to look at if it's a, a black author, then people make assumptions it's about race when maybe it's not necessarily the intent behind the writing of it. It just happens to have the protagonists who are people of color or yeah, same thing with like yeah, and I can't see how a writer could avoid those kinds of things. If you were a black author writing about a, the black experience and, and you didn't have race as part of the story, I don't think it would be a, a, a story that's true. I don't know. Or right. honest or moral or what? Is that what I want to say? Yeah, I get what you're saying, I think. And, and, and of course... It's that race may not be what's on the mind of a white protagonist because that's the privilege or luxury of not having to think about those things necessarily. It wasn't already here, not quite, not then. I thought for a while in the 1990s that it may be, it would never be, but now I'm wondering again.
of recent years, American society has moved much closer to the conditions necessary for a takeover of its own power structures by anti-democratic and repressive government, approximately five years after The Handmaiden's Tale was published. And she's talking about, hey, I don't believe my, my stories could come true, but they are in that shadow area that could come true. And now here, when I wasn't even thinking of that when I was writing The Handmaiden's Tale, it is coming closer to what that could be. Yeah, look at the storming of the cap, the Capitol. Like, who would have thought? I just can't. I still, across my mind, I just can't believe that happened. Like, it. it well, according to most of the uh, uh, GOP members, uh, the Republican Party, no, it didn't happen, or it wasn't a big deal. No, I'm. Get, don't get me started. Here's a quote for you that I've got here from page 183. Is life a waiting room or a journey waiting around? Or is it a journey? You're on the journey. You're on the journey. Is it waiting room? I don't remember that quote. A waiting room. Yeah. Now, I can't remember what she was talking about there, but... I guess that depends on what you're doing, right? <laughs> is life a waiting room or a journey? In Visa for Avalon, both options are proposed. If a waiting room, what comes after you're done, after you've done the waiting? If a journey, what is it? Bayer doesn't tell us partly one feels because Tennyson doesn't tell us whether Arthur lived or died. Okay, that was about, yeah, Avalon. They're talking about Avalon, Pilgrim's Process, the Seventh Seal. Yeah, she says at some point, I can't remember the exact words, but she talks about that all the greatest works are filled with ambiguity. I thought that was pretty powerful yeah. there's a lot of truth to that i think yeah but she also mentions i guess it sort of relates that it's a william gibson quote from necromancer the future is already here it's just unevenly distributed huh. <laughs> i was like huh. yeah still thinking about that one it was a super short story and it makes yeah. sense to what you said about uneven, unevenly distributed, because this is the guy, the hero of our story, finds a light bulb in a basement. Ayn Rand. Ayn Rand. All they're using, all the regular people are using candles. He finds this light bulb and says, "Why aren't we? Why aren't we using these? You're not ready for those. I haven't. I have decided you're not ready." And I think. That maybe area, what is it, area 54? 51, yeah. 51? Oh, oh, 54 was the dance thing. So area 51 has all of this alien technology that's been dribbling out to us in cell phones and microwaves and popcorn machines. That's my conspiracy theory. Yeah, that's how COVID spreads, I think, is... Uh... <laughs> Too soon. Yeah, I can't joke about that. Oh, yeah, yeah. So many, yeah, so many things to read. Man. Okay. All right. I hear the rumor that the next season is going to be about to Mars. Yeah, the Red Planet. That's exciting. And uh, I found out that the Red Planet in is it Roman Greek mythology is the Fire Planet. Fire. 
the Red Planet Fighter. That is the name of the latest robot that has been sent to, to Mars. How do you say Jurong? Fire and light, and, and in some mythology, the planet of fire. Hmm. So here we go. Yeah, what do you, what, I like the idea of maybe going through this in chronological order, the order in which they've been written, as a way of looking at different views on Mars and how they've changed over the years. Bye.